talks about him not being a man of great esteem or stature. And then there's also uh, a place where the Pharisees, the religious people, call him a glutton and a drunk, and I could hang with that guy. So uh, that's a guy that I like to follow. Um, I'm very honored to be here. This is uh, a great honor to be able to share in front of you, in front of new friends and, and some people that I previously know. And uh, I have uh, attended Scum of the Earth a couple of times in my existence on this planet. And uh, once or twice in the early days, I came with a friend of mine, Leonore. And then um, in about 2005 or so, uh, I came with another friend that had uh, just moved to Denver and was looking for a church. And so it's a little bit different than I remember it, which is good news because that means that it's living and breathing and growing and evolving and it's not stagnant. So I feel very honored to be here. This is uh, such a pleasure. So my name is Ryan Doherty. I pastor a church in Greeley, Colorado, which according to some people, would probably make me scum of the earth being from Greeley, Colorado, so I feel at home here. And uh, I also work for an organization called Youth for Christ, and we work with skaters and punk rock kids and incarcerated youth and teen parents and homeless kids and um, just kids that are marginalized, disenfranchised, those types of people. And... Uh, I grew up in Greeley, Colorado, listening to punk rock music and being an outcast and going to punk and ska shows. And uh, so I feel kind of at home in this environment. So um, without further ado, I want to talk about something that's on my mind for the year 2020. And I think it's... Uh, kind of a significant time in history because we're moving into the future. If you remember like 70s and 80s movies, whenever they would talk about the future, they would talk about 2020 as being way far out in the future, and now we're almost there. So this is exciting that we're going to be living in the future that we've been hearing about for the last 30 or 40 years, and that's exciting. So one of the things that I want to do uh, moving into 2020 is I want to try to be a more loving and compassionate person. My personality is I'm a cynic at heart, and so I'm the guy that sits in the back of the room and rolls his eyes, and I'm a very cynical person, and I, I tend to see the bad before I see the good. I don't know if I have any fellow brethren or sisters here, but... Um, that's kind of my personality. And so in 2020, I want to be a more loving and compassionate person. And I want to invite as many people as possible to join me on this journey. And I want to do so much loving and compassion and kind things to people that in five or 10 years, when somebody comes back to me and says, you did such and such for me in 2020, and I really appreciate it, that I'll struggle to try to remember that time because I've done so many things nice in 2020, and not for my own uh, good, not so that I can feel good about myself, although I hope that to be a consequence of that, and not solely so that they can feel good about themselves, but I want to do that because that's what God is calling us to do. 
That's what Jesus did. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to try to emulate Jesus however I can. And this is something I believe that God is calling people to do and has been calling people to do since the very beginning of time. And so, as Jesus did, so should we. So I'm going to share about the Good Samaritan. And don't tune me out just yet, because you've probably heard this story multiple times in your life. Sometimes uh, we've heard this story. Some people have probably heard this story hundreds of times in their lives. But I want to change the focus of the story a little bit. And maybe we can learn something new. And just as a reminder of what this story is all about, uh, I'm going to read the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and it is up on the screen. So it's a lot of verses. It's a lot of words. Uh, I'm not a good reader. I went to private school, so... um, And I was homeschooled, so that didn't help my reading skills either. So, uh, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this story starts with a question from an expert of the law to Jesus. So an expert of the law would be somebody who knows and understands the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, kind of inside and out. And he uh, was, we can read this as he was trying to uh, maybe bait Jesus a little bit. And so he asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus asks him the question of how he interprets scripture. And the answer to this question depends on how the man interprets question, uh, sorry, uh, the answer to this question depends on how he answers this particular question. So many of the ways that we view people, situations, 
and God are based on our interpretations. And many of those interpretations are based on how we read Scripture. So Jesus asked this man, what's written in the law, and how do you read it? And what he's asking this man is, you know the law, you know Scripture, so what does Scripture say when you ask this question? So I want to take just a second to talk about what Jesus says here. And I want to offer you a challenge, and I want to offer you a warning. When you begin to study Scripture, when you start opening the Bible, you start reading the Bible, and you start understanding the Bible, you begin to understand God and the nature of God. And as you read and understand Scripture, you understand who you are in God and who God is. And through that, you can have a deeper understanding of spiritual things. So with that understanding, you can then begin to know and expect how God would answer questions. So for example, this rich, or sorry, this young ruler, um, this leader of the law, he, he reads the scripture and he knows it. And then he asks Jesus a question and Jesus turns the question back on him because he knows that he knows the answer, if that makes sense. So um, Jesus asks him to answer his own question. And I have a 15-year-old son, and oftentimes uh, he'll ask me a question. Can I do X, Y, and Z? And I would say, like a good parent, I say, well, what would your mom say? Or what did your mom say? And because my son knows how my wife, his mother, would respond to a question, he knows the answer. Because he knows his mom. He knows the nature of his mom. He's gr grown up with her. He knows exactly what she would say in a given situation. So uh, oftentimes he'll come to me because he knows I may give a little bit different answer than what his mom would give, but I'm not going for it because I got to live with this woman. And so I'm not going to piss her off if you know what I'm saying. But he know the point being that my 15-year-old son knows his mom and knows her nature. And as you grow in your relationship with God and you read scripture, you can begin to understand and know the nature of God. And so oftentimes our prayers that we offer up to God, which I'm not discouraging you from praying, oftentimes when we ask God questions, we can answer those questions based on how we know and understand the nature of God through our knowledge and understanding of scripture. And so that's what's happening in the story is this uh, teacher of the law, he's asking God, Jesus, a question, and he's baiting him to try to see if Jesus is going to answer the question correctly. And Jesus turns the question back on him and says, you know and you understand God, now you answer that question. And the warning that I would give to all of us is that you are not going to know and understand the nature of God by just coming to church once a week. By just being here for an hour or two a week is not going to be good enough to really know and understand the nature of God. What you have to do is you have to open your Bible. You have to begin to learn what God is like. So I would encourage you every day to look at Scripture. I love that you guys are studying Isaiah 53. That's a beautiful set of verses. And to know and understand God is revealed through those verses. 
So you can do a couple things. One thing, uh, so I met Jesse a couple months ago. We're doing this uh, retreat thing that they say is like a nine-month retreat, and it feels like a nine-month retreat. And we're, we're learning and studying spiritual practices, uh, ancient practices of how people connected with God uh, for a thousand years or so. And uh, one of the things that we do is this thing called colloquy prayer. And uh, I found it really beneficial. And so I would like to share a little bit about it with you. But this is a conversational type of praying. Um, and for me, it works best if I write down my prayers. Um, but what you do is you start by writing down a question that you have for God, a question that you are struggling with or you want the answer to. And then you write down how you think God would answer that question. And oftentimes, you'll be right. I think oftentimes we know and we understand how God would answer our prayer. We just may not like the answer. Or we may be too timid or afraid to accept that we know the answer to the question. I mean, it's the same with my 15-year-old son. He knows what his mom's going to say. That's why he comes to me uh, with his question. And then as you begin to unpack those questions that you have, and you begin to answer those questions. If you still don't know the answer, then scripture is a great place to turn. Um, talk to people that are smarter than you. Confucius say, if you're the smartest person in the room, find a different room. So um, begin to ask people that know more than you. All right, so anyways, back to the story. Um, because this man knows what God would say, he answers the question for Jesus. He answers his own question. And he answers it by quoting scripture. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's just parroting back scripture from the law. So then the question becomes... How do you define your neighbor? And I think that's a great question because many of the decisions that we make in regards to how we treat other people depends on whether or not they fit in our preconceived ideas of who our neighbor is. Whether or not they actually deserve our love, our respect, our compassion depends on whether or not we consider them neighbors. So I want to ask you a question. Do you think that you allow your preconceived ideas of people shape how you treat them? That's a great question that we should ask ourselves often. Do we allow our preconceived ideas of people to shape how we treat them? Do we treat some people differently because of ideas and preconceived notions that we have of them. So starting in verse 30, Jesus shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable is widely known. Is there anybody in this room that has never heard of the Good Samaritan before? All right, perfect. So the Good Samaritan um, has its namesake on hospitals, organizations, Places like that. Artwork has been dedicated to the Good Samaritan. P. 
People write poems and lyrics about the Good Samaritan. I went and saw the Foo Fighters last year in uh, San Jose, California, and even Dave Grohl spoke about the Good Samaritan uh, as he was playing the concert. And so this is a story that many people have heard. It's part of pop culture. You don't have to say, spoiler alert, the Good Samaritan helped the guy out. We don't have to say, spoiler alert, when we say, Luke, I am your father. It's part of pop culture. And that's true about this story as well. So many sermons have been preached on the Good Samaritan, on the story and on the man, but I want to focus on the priest and the Levite. Because the whole story is contrasted and it hinges on the contrast between the priest and the Levite and the actions of the Good Samaritan. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on um, the relationship between the Hebrews and the Samaritans. So I'm just going to spend like 45 minutes or so explaining history. Not really. I'm going to keep it very brief. The Hebrews and the Samaritans did not get along. That's uh, really what you need to know. There's uh, bad blood religiously, politically. The Samaritans and the Israelites, they both have the same racial roots. But the Samaritans um, began to be mixed with other races. And the Jewish people went to exile in Babylon. And the funny thing about this is the Jews felt like they were, the Hebrews felt like they, they were kind of the pure bred Israelites, and the Samaritans were this mixed race of people, and that made them lesser, except for the fact that when the Israelites went to Babylon, they ended up um, having children with the Babylonians, and so when it all boils down, they probably had about the same amount of Jewish blood when it uh, all came, when comparing apples to apples. But you can Google why Israelites and the Samaritans did not see eye to eye. Um, but the fact is, they were often violent towards each other. They were definitely hateful towards each other. And the parable of the Good Samaritan becomes very powerful when you think about this Jewish man that's laying beaten and this Good Samaritan who comes, who should have hated and walked past the Hebrew, but then becomes his savior. So in the parable, Jesus says that the priest and the Levite a Levite is somebody who's a religious person, person in Jewish culture. Um, the priest and the Levite, seeing the beaten man cross onto the other side of the road. And I think that's a very powerful part of this story that we often overlook. But they literally saw the man, and so rather than going towards the man and going towards his problem, they went to the other side and avoided him altogether. And you could imagine how you might feel if you saw somebody walking down the sidewalk towards you and when they saw you, they went and crossed the street and went around you in order to avoid coming in contact with you. And if that happens to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but let's talk about some theories of why the priest and the Levite may have acted the way that they acted. So the first theory is the benefit of the doubt theory. If the man wasn't moving and they assumed that he was dead, it, it would be a sin for them 
as a priest and a Levite for them to come in contact with a corpse. So if they viewed this man and they saw him laying there and they thought, man, this guy's dead and there's no hope for him, uh, I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want to uh, end up sinning, so I'm going to avoid having contact with him altogether. That may be true. It says in Leviticus 21 that um, it says, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die. So they could not be in contact with a corpse. So they might have thought he was dead. That's the benefit of the doubt theory. The second theory is, I like to call it the ain't nobody got time for that theory, and that is that they saw him and they thought, man, I don't want to engage with this person because it may mess up the flow of my day. I have an appointment to be on. I'm not just walking on this road for my health. I'm trying to get somewhere. And if I stop to help this person, I may get stuck here. They don't fit into my schedule right now. The third theory is, well, I guess you should have thought of that theory. And this is the theory where they saw this man beaten and they made an assumption that he must have done something to deserve to be beaten the way that he was beaten. They didn't want to get involved because he probably deserved it. In each one of these theories, one thing emerges. The priest and the Levi don't bother trying to find out. They don't try to find out why this man is in this situation. They, they assume that this man's story is not worth discovering. God forbid if they find out that this man's alive, they might have to do something about it. If they stop and help, they may not make it to their next appointment. If they ask questions, they might be expected to help. And sometimes it's good for us to look at Scripture and then try to look at the themes of Scripture in the light of our own lives, in the context of how we live our lives. And we assume a lot of things about people that may or may not be true. And these assumptions shape our responses. These assumptions determine how we respond to situations. So in the benefit of the doubt theory, if I were driving down the road and I see a couple with a flat tire on the side of the road, it might be my assumption to say, well, that car looks pretty new. They probably have roadside assistance. Somebody's on their way to help them. So I'm just going to keep on keeping on. In the ain't nobody got time for that theory, if a person is clearly lost, wandering around downtown, and I stop to help them for directions, I may not make it to my lunch or my meeting or to the coffee shop. They may ask me to show them where they're trying to go, and it may screw up my entire day. In the you should have thought of that response, it's easy to say, well, if they didn't hang out with those kind of people, they wouldn't find themselves in this situation. If she didn't dress so provocatively, that wouldn't have happened to her. Those kind of assumptions are based on no knowledge whatsoever. We don't bother to find out the story, and so we make assumptions, and those assumptions become excuses. And I think it's 
apropos to say that when Scripture says love your neighbor as yourself, I think it might actually mean to love your neighbor as yourself. If you saw yourself half dead on the side of the road, would you help yourself? And if you're unwilling to help yourself, then that's another issue altogether, and we should probably talk. Because I believe that your ability to love others is directly linked to your ability to love yourself. That may be a topic for a different Sunday, but I want to just take a moment to remind you that if you struggle with self-worth, if you struggle with understanding that you are created by a loving God, I want you to know that God loves you, and he loves you deeply. The creator of all creation sees you as a treasure that's worth dying for. There's a verse that I like to remind myself in times where I'm feeling sorry for myself or am I thinking low about myself. And this verse is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And if you ever struggle with those kind of things, this is a good reminder. But it says, you are God's masterpiece. And he's created you new in Christ Jesus to do great things that he planned for you. And God views you as a masterpiece. So if God views you that way, you should view yourself that way. So if you saw yourself laying half dead on the side of the road, would you help yourself? When I read this story, the priest and the Levite, they jump out to me way more than the Good Samaritan because they saw a need, and rather than making a move towards the problem, they literally made a move away from the problem. And this kind of complacency and prejudice, in my opinion, has no place in Christ's church, in this church, in your life, or in my life. I read this story of the priest and the Levite refusing to help because they have preconceived notions of the beaten man, and rather than try to find out his story, they turn their backs on him. They make assumptions and those assumptions become excuses of why they don't have to help. And if you don't think that this happens today, you'd be naive. Because I know that there's been times where somebody has asked me for a dollar, and I made an assumption about how they were going to spend that dollar, and I didn't give it to them. There's been times where We've looked at overweight people and assumed that they don't have any self-control. We've looked at college students that binge drink every weekend and we assume they just like to party and that they don't, they're not covering up for problems that they have. I've looked at pregnant teenagers and assumed that she was a whore. I think we've all made assumptions about people without truly understanding that every situation has a story. I heard somebody say recently that one of the only areas of our life that we have complete control over is how we choose, choose to treat other people. 
the only area of our life that we have complete control over is how we choose to treat other people. And I think that's true. There's a lot of factors in our life that we don't have any control over, but we do have control over how we treat others. And one place that I believe that God gives us enormous amounts of grace is in love towards other people. And when Peter wrote that love covers a multitude of sins, he was talking about interpersonal relationships. He was saying that if you sin or you make a, you slip up while loving somebody else, you do damage while loving somebody else, that that love covers a multitude of sins. And the story of the Good Samaritan is a story about the law versus love. The person asking Jesus is an expert in the law. And the story is about the law's response towards love. What happens when a loving person causes someone to break the Jewish law? What happens when they go to the the priest and the Levite go to see if this man is okay and they find out he's dead and that they're ceremonially unclean? Does God not forgive them of that? I heard a Catholic priest say recently, his name's Father Jim Keenan. Um, He's a Jesuit priest. And he said, sin is not where people are weak, but really trying, but where people are strong and not bothering. And what he means is that we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to struggle with certain things. We all have our crosses to bear. The problem is not when we are striving to do the right thing and we have a slip-up. The problem is when we know the right thing to do and we decide that we're not going to do it because it's inconvenient to us, because it doesn't fit into our agenda, because they don't deserve it. The problem is when you have the ability to show love, hope, compassion, mercy, but you refuse to do it. Sin becomes a real issue when it's not about missing the mark. It's about not even trying. And I think that I have a lot of room to grow when it comes to how I love other people, especially the people that I make assumptions about the people that are not like me, that don't fit into my little world that I've created and I want to keep a certain way. And that's why I want 2020 to be a year of doing nice things, loving things, compassionate things towards other people. Melinda Gates, the wife of Bill Gates, she said it this way, every society says its outsiders are the problem But the outsiders are not the problem. Society's urge to create outsiders is the problem. And I think that's true, is that when we as followers of Jesus or people that are striving to live a better life choose to not create outsiders but instead become all-inclusive, I think we'll see God's love flourish in ways we can never imagine. So let's go back to the first question. Do you think that you allow your preconceived ideas of people to shape how you treat them? 
And I think that's a question that's worth reflecting on because I think we all come in with these preconceived notions about the way the world is or the way the world should be or who this person is and who this person isn't and we make assumptions about them and I think our society is filled with those kind of assumptions and we're always fighting against it but God's calling us not to make assumptions because assumptions become excuses and those excuses give us justification for behaving in a way that is ungodly so I always like to end my time with a, a time of reflection. And you can uh, use this time of reflection however you like. Um, some people like to close their eyes and just get into a comfortable place. And just, I want to read scripture over you. These are the words of God spoken to us through scripture. And so if you would, if you would just take this moment if you want to close your eyes if you want to bow your head if you want to do whatever feels comfortable do that but i want to read these this is scripture and i want to read it over you it says dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god if anyone has mere material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them how can the love of god be in that person finally all of you be like-minded be sympathetic love one another be compassionate and humble no one should seek their own good but the good of others carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of christ for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command Love your neighbor as yourself. So in everything, do it to others that you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. Above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. A new command I give to you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who showed us the way of how we are to love other people. That he pointed us in the right direction, but it was our choice, and it still is our choice, to take steps in the way that God has for us. God, I just pray that you would uh, create something new in each one of us something new that says i'm going to love other people more than i love myself i'm going to treat other people the way they deserve to be treated i'm going to not make assumptions out of people and not make excuses for not loving them but i'm going to set myself apart and love them even if the world doesn't see their value 
Father God, I just pray that 2020 would be a year where we as followers of Jesus, as people that are seeking after Jesus, that we would be an example of true love to a world that's broken and searching for answers. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.